1: This is Talk Radio, across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio.
2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The die is cast, ladies and gentlemen, and the scene is set. For some very troublesome weeks and months ahead for Afghanistan and the world, as more and more Britons return to the UK from the war-torn and, frankly, chaotic capital city that is Kabul, the ruling Taliban have been busy trying to convince everyone that they've changed. That's right, uh, they're the new, kinder, gentler Taliban. They say they've turned the corner, that they believe in women's rights, that they will certainly not any longer summarily execute people uh, that have, in their words, collaborated with the West vis-a-vis the enemy. The trouble is nobody actually believes them and a looming crisis of gargantuan dimensions can only be around the corner and it won't just affect the troubled region and its surrounding countries. There are going to be hundreds of thousands of refugees fleeing their homes and heading for Western Europe and already uh, we're hearing that a resistance movement is building up in the outskirts to Kabul uh, being led by the former vice president of Afghanistan Amrullah Saleh. Uh, so if you think uh, it's all over, it certainly is not. This morning, Boris Johnson is addressing a special emergency session of Parliament. recalled uh, to address the crisis. And make no mistake, this is a huge crisis. Britain and the United States have betrayed a country, betrayed our veterans and caused the world a problem that it really does not need. Senator Joe Biden, uh, sorry, President Joe Biden, I should say, bears the brunt of the blame uh, for this blunder. But our Prime Minister must also step up to the plate and come up with a plan of action, mustn't he? He's asking a lot of questions himself. He's giving uh, as good as he gets. He's in Parliament. We'll be covering all of that this morning. We'll be asking John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent, for his take on what's going on in the House of Commons. We're also going to be talking to ex-soldier turned analyst with the Henry Jackson Society, Rob Clark. Uh, He's got plenty to say about boots on the ground. We'll also be talking to a former combat paratrooper who is demonstrating on behalf of those Afghan men and women that helped our armed forces and who have now been left behind to die. It is a solemn day, ladies and gentlemen, and we will also be looking at the humanitarian carnage that the afghan crisis will leave in its wake there are already calls for the uk to accept a further twenty-five thousand refugees the size of a small town in england i wonder where they will all go 0344 499 1000 you're listening to me mike graham right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet it is of course talk radio
1: the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio.
2: Now, we've got a lot to cover this morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, so do please bear with us. We'll be travelling live backwards and forwards to the House of Commons over the course of the next few hours. Boris Johnson is still addressing uh, the House. There are many, many MPs in that House. For the first time, it's really full, uh, which I think a lot of people who are uh, believers in democracy uh, are going to be very encouraged to see. Some people still wearing masks, most of them not. Let's talk to John Rental, who's watching it with us as well. John, a very good morning to you.
3: Hello, Mike. I've just been in the chamber and you're absolutely right. Uh, no masks on the Tory side or at least just a smattering and everybody wearing a mask on the Labour side, apart from I counted about
2: four or five. That's interesting. isn't it? I saw Theresa May was wearing one, but, but it's quite unusual and it must be quite heartening in a way. Uh, and I know this is not the main business of the day, but to see the House of Commons full again, um, you know, perhaps oh. it, it, it perhaps it heralds the beginning of something.
3: Well, no, it really is different um, because I don't know if you've seen any of it, but the the prime minister is is struggling to to assert himself against uh, a stream of hostile questions, many of them from his own side. Mm. And uh, it is it is democracy in action and it's good to see.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. Because, of course, um, it's a good idea that we've had this session. A lot of people before it started saying, what's the point of it? Are we just going to see a kind of cavalcade of uh, of egos trying to make some uh, small political point? But these are huge questions that need to be put to the primaries, the huge um, um, uh, sort of inquiries that need to be made as to how this could have happened, because it is a massive, massive blunder and a huge crisis and it's going to get worse. Absolutely. I mean, a very important
3: point in uh, British foreign policy. It is the end of uh, 20 years of uh, uh, of of a consensual position, actually, that uh, that we were, you know, we were right to be in in Afghanistan to uh, to to maintain uh, stability and to support the government there. Uh, the, The plug has been pulled on that by the by the American president in a. In an extremely um, humiliating and embarrassing way, um, I mean, humiliating and embarrassing for the British government because uh, Joe Biden didn't bother to consult any of his allies. He just uh, uh, he just announced that the withdrawal, which was obviously started by his predecessor Donald Trump, uh, he just announced that the withdrawal was going to go ahead.
2: And and his explanation for it has not gone down particularly well either. In his speech the other night uh, to the nation and to the world, effectively, uh, he more or less said, well, we decided it was better to, to, to pull everybody out than it was uh, to actually fight, which was apparently the only two choices on the table, which seems remarkable uh, for a start. But also, I was hearing this morning, John, that the French apparently pulled all their people out, all of their diplomats, all of their people that were in Afghanistan about a month ago. So it could have been yep. done differently, couldn't it?
3: Well, most of the uh, most of the NATO countries um, that were contributing troops um, withdrew them in the in the summer. Uh, but, I mean, Britain, Turkey, and uh, one or two others um, were the only the only uh, countries left apart from from America. So I think I think it is right, you know, what Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, says is that the UK could not have gone it alone. Uh, but this is something that has been has been coming down the tracks for some time, and it seems to have taken. Uh, The UK government in particular by surprise. Yes,
2: absolutely. And I mean, the the huge kind of gulf in credibility uh, is a is a concern you know we saw the Afghan um, press conference yesterday the Taliban press conference in which they were kind of trying to paint themselves as uh, becoming new uh, democrats and very willing to be different this time around but nobody really in the west takes that seriously and certainly much of the narrative seems to be around the fact that well they're saying all of this to buy themselves time they've taken a leaf out of the ISIS playbook um, and they're basically trying to just sort of feed everybody along the way until they can grip the place properly
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that is that is probably true. I mean, that was one of the first questions put to to, put to the prime minister uh, in the debate was from uh, Tobias Elwood saying, you know, how come we've ended up handing back Afghanistan to the people um, who had it in the first place, who, you know, whose human rights record was so appalling that we were we were forced to to intervene. I mean, the question is whether the Taliban now are different. Uh, They are, as you say, trying to present themselves as different. Uh, And I did. I just just heard the prime minister there say uh, that we will judge the new government by its actions, not its words. Yeah, Uh, but very much like um, uh, trying to make the best of uh, the best of a very, very embarrassing and humiliating retreat. Yes.
2: And let's hope that's all it is, because embarrassing and humiliating is, is one thing. But if it turns into something much worse and much bloody, uh, much bloodier and much more deadly, which it could do, because we're being told by people um, and Tom Tugendhat amongst those people, uh, the Tory MP, that there are stories of people being hunted down door to door searches going on in places like Kandahar uh, and people being dragged out for being collaborators with the West and, and shot. And there's certainly video footage of stuff like that going on. Uh, we've also heard this morning, as I mentioned, that there's a the, the former vice president is talking about reforming the Northern Alliance. So this is not by any means um, going to be something which is sorted out over the next couple of weeks.
3: No. And uh, there's a very uh, interesting opinion poll in the Daily Mail today um, that sort of... Uh, a rather pessimistic view of the of the British public that mm. uh, we end up having to um, having to send troops back to the country. Yes, uh, I mean, that really, is uh, that is that is pretty gloomy uh, because I just I just don't see the the public support no for uh, such an action ever uh, ever developing again. I mean, it was only because the Taliban were harbouring uh, Osama bin Laden in the first place that there was uh, uh, there was widespread. Uh, support for the for the initial intervention Mm. in 2001.
2: Yes, I mean, I I don't think there's any doubt that that you would say that the bulk of people in this country and in the US don't want to see um, large numbers of troops going to places like Afghanistan anymore. And and I think that's perfectly understandable. Um, However, um, the, the collateral damage of not doing so, has clearly not been taken into account. I mean, nobody seems to have thought that this would happen. I mean, the idea that Boris Johnson got up this morning and said, well, uh, events went even faster than the Taliban had predicted. Well, I don't think so. I think the Taliban knew exactly what they were doing.
3: Well, there have been some reports of the Taliban being taken by surprise by the swiftness of their uh, their takeover. Um, that That is... One big question that's, that's going to be asked. I mean, Patrick Coburn, um, for The Independent, has written a very good article explaining, you know, how the, how the politics of war works in, in Afghanistan. I mean, all the, the sort of local warlords, once they see which way uh, the wind is blowing, they've they decided to throw their lot in with the with the Taliban mm. because they can see that the Taliban are going to win. And that, that goes back to Donald Trump's uh, deal with the Taliban behind the back of the Afghan government. And I think once that happened, uh, the die was pretty much cast. I mean, Joe Biden could have, uh, could, could have reversed the position, but he didn't want to. He, wants, he, he recognizes that the American people want their troops back out.
2: Yes, and I think that is absolutely the position and that will remain a position. However, you know, we've got two main problems here, haven't we? With the one uh, for the sort of general area of Afghanistan and its and its neighbours and what happens there next, but also what the well, knock-on effect is to the refugee problem. You know, we're having arguments already now with uh, Priti Patel and various different ministers who say, well, we should take 25,000. She says we shouldn't. You know, um, they're already, as the Labour Party's pointed out this morning, um, immigration policy currently for some Afghans Afghan refugees is to send them home.
3: Well, yeah, it's not. The, the, the prime minister did confirm that that is not the policy uh, anymore. That might have been the policy last week, but things have changed rather <laughs> p-
2: Yeah, um, well, you're going to keep you're going to keep a close eye on the immigration policy in this country because it seems to change by the day.
3: Well, quite. I mean, Chris Bryant, the Labour MP, asked a very um, uh, pointed question to the prime minister, uh, saying that you know, if, if the plan is to let twenty thousand Afghans in over five years. Uh, but only five thousand
2: this year. What are the
3: other fifteen thousand? Yeah, supposed so to do? Or just hang around and watch be executed. What's
2: well, that's right. I mean, you know, uh, and, and, I and are we? And are we yeah, and are we supposedly flying these people out, uh, or are we waiting for them to make their own way here? I think John um, has just um, uh, lost his line for a 2nd Let's go down to uh, the House of Commons and pick up uh, with Keir Starmer, who's currently speaking.
1: ...would like to see that um, addressed, um, if, if, if true. Um, I will, yes. grateful to the right hon. for giving away. Can I just bring him back to uh, the statement by the President of the United States the other day? Does he not agree with me uh, that this took on the terms, really, of a sort of shameful
2: excuse? When he blames the Afghan armed forces, who have lost nearly 70,000 in trying to defend Afghanistan? when corruption had
1: stripped away much of their pay, their money, their support, and the American decision to withdraw the uh, aircraft cover was almost certainly going to lead us. Does he not
2: think that that is shameful?
1: Mr Speaker, the US is, of course, an important ally, but to overlook the fighting of the Afghan troops and forces in recent years, they have been at the forefront of that fighting, I think is wrong uh, for any of us. Uh, to overlook, all the situation that they now find themselves in. Mr Speaker, uh, the urgent task is, of course, the evacuation. Equally urgent is the immediate refugee crisis. I'll just make some progress, and then I will. Many Afghans have bravely sought to rebuild their country. They did so on a promise of democratic freedoms, the rule of law, and liberty for the oppressed, including women and girls. They are our friends. And that was our promise. They are now fearing for their lives. We do not turn our backs on friends at their time of need. We owe an obligation to the people of Afghanistan. There should be a resettlement scheme for people to rebuild their lives here. Safe and legal routes, it must be a resettlement scheme that meets the scale of the enormous challenge But what the government has announced this morning does not do that. It is vague. It will support just 5,000 in the first year, a number without rationale. Was that based on a risk assessment of those most at need, or was it plucked out of the air? Others. (coughs) The offer to others, the offer to others in one moment, the offer to others is in the long term in the long term. But for those desperately needing our help now, there is no long term, Mr Speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just day-to-day survival. Yet one? again... Keir Starmer, of the I opposition
2: will... there, pointing out that the numbers so of great people great. coming or being invited to come here from Afghanistan, at the moment number just 5,000, because Pretty Patel says that that is the immediate need uh, of 5,000 people who need to be given safety. But of course, as Keir Starmer says, how do you know that there's not more than that? And how do you know that over the course of time, uh, there will be anybody left to bring out if, in fact, they're all murdered by the Taliban? I mean, it's a very, very difficult situation for the government. Uh, I don't think Sir Keir Starmer particularly covering himself in glory uh, by pushing them on this point at this particular time. But I guess he's got to do something. Uh, we are, of course, the Home of Common Sense. We're talking to John Rental, who's live in Westminster. He's watching uh, this debate going on as well. It will be going on for several hours. We will bring you all of it uh, and we will dip in and out of it through the course of the morning. Uh, but also, we want to hear from you as well, because... Let's face it, if you know of a size of a town of 20,000 people, think of a place like Hailsham in Sussex. There are plenty of places you can think of, I'm sure, that might be near you. You're asking the British people to say, let's take another 20,000 refugees. You might feel that that's the right thing to do. You might feel that that is indeed the humanitarian thing to do, and it may well be. However... Where are the schools? Where are the hospitals? Where are the doctors? You can't get a doctor's appointment now. It's hard enough to get your child into a state school. It's hard enough to find a dentist that will put you on the NHS uh, waiting list. If you're going to say to me that we're going to build an entire town and put 20,000 people in it who have come here because they are somehow morally obligated to us, well, I'm not sure that that is the answer. The Independent
3: Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: We are currently watching Sir Keir Starmer, uh, who is still making his points to Boris Johnson about the refugee crisis and the looming numbers of people that could be coming, uh, asking why only 5,000 is the number. We're talking to John Rental, uh, who's down there in Westminster watching with us. John, um, Keir Starmer has, I suppose, to, to form some argument um, for Boris Johnson to answer. He's gone with this uh, refugee crisis, uh, asking yeah. why the number is 5,000 and not, uh, not a bigger number.
4: Well, that's a sort of easy option for uh, for Keir Starmer. I'm much, I'm much more interested in hearing from him why he thinks uh, Joe Biden's decision to withdraw was a mistake, which mm. is what uh, which is what I thought he said yesterday.
1: Yeah.
4: Uh, but uh, I'm afraid he's focusing on what for the Labour Party is obviously the safe uh, territory of uh, of doing the right thing by uh, by the refugees. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, he's not. He's you know Keir Starmer's not arguing that we should be taking more. He's just asking. Uh, He's just asking a lot of questions, as far as I can make out. Right. Well, he is asking, actually, for me,
2: quite a good question, uh, whether whether you agree with him or not, is is, is how do you arrive at that particular figure? Because, as I said to you just before uh, we lost you, um, you know, are these people that will be airlifted out? Are these people that will be brought to shore in the normal way when they make their way across Western Europe? You know, how's it going to work?
4: Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, so far... Um, the process of selection is is uh, the people who can make it to the airport without getting shot by the Taliban. Yes, and uh, no, that's uh, that's not a satisfactory way of. Uh... Of, of choosing the no, most deserving cases, because
2: I don't know exactly, and I presume somebody will ask this question: what the logistics are on the ground at um, a Kabul Airport? I don't know whether it's controlled now by the uh, the US um, uh, military or by the British military. Whether we've got a number of planes that are taking people out, how many planes? You know, how how often are they going back? Is there a window which is going to close? I mean, there's all there's all. I mean, that's just but what that, I can think of off the top of my head.
4: <laughs> well, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of questions, and as far as I know, the uh, the airport is still controlled by american and british troops yeah um uh, but uh, the the taliban obviously um can control who can get to the airport now mm. so anybody who's not uh, not already there um is, is going to find it difficult and as I, as I understand it the british ambassador is uh, is still at the airport uh processing uh asylum claims himself which mm. is uh which is heroic of him.
2: Well, exactly right. And I was talking yesterday to Sir Simon Male, a former um, British Army officer, but now kind of a consultant and man who knows an awful lot about the Middle East. We were saying that, you know... The entire sort of events of the last few days have started for many people a process of asking the question whether there needs to be a, a sort of step change in the way that the West deals uh, with so many of these what you might call failed states, you know, from Libya through to Syria, through to Lebanon, through to Afghanistan. Yeah. You know, clearly the interventionist method has failed miserably.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, well, speaking as a liberal interventionist myself, um, it, it has uh, it has been a very, very sorry Series of, uh, of episodes, as you say, all of those have been uh, have, have been uh, failures of, of one kind or another. Yes. I mean, on the other hand, you got—I mean—you got to remember where where this started with Kosovo and Sierra Leone, which were both uh, which were both successes and um, you know very important um, work was done in, in both those cases. So you know, I, I, w- I would say that you know the ad- idea of, uh, of of using military force. You know, as a last resort uh, to to save people in situations like that is is still justified. Yeah, but we've obviously but you see, got to I, be I, very but I, cautious. But
2: I guess it's 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 a not a one size fits all situation, though, is it? I mean, Kosovo was no. an emerging nation coming out of the former Yugoslavia, coming out of a war, uh, coming out of 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 something where they could create something out of nothing. What it wasn't, yeah. it was a place where warring factions had been fighting each other uh, for the better part of several centuries.
4: Yeah, no, I mean c- clearly uh that 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 is a very important uh, consideration, and I think the other thing that uh that, that the intervention interventionists underestimated was the extent to which it relies on uh, on public support yeah. um you know back home because i mean if there isn't the support for keeping troops there for a long time then uh, then i mean i'm not sure that 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 argues against having done it in the first place i mean I think the point is you know we were committed to Afghanistan for the long term, twenty years is the long term. Uh, that was 20 years during which uh, girls could go to school, and you know there was a lot of development aid uh, pumped in. Yes. Um, and the failing, wasn't... and
2: the failing of that seems to have been that it was a very corrupt regime, um, as as now kind of confirmed by the exodus of the president, um, and yeah. by um, the discovery that an awful lot of people in the in the Afghan army hadn't even been paid, and that's why yeah. they were perhaps not that willing to fight.
4: Yeah and I think I mean there is obviously a very strong argument that if after 20 years uh, you can't uh, you you can't support a a government that can defend itself uh, then it's it's probably not worth carrying on. No. I mean that that is the, that is the question which I, which is unanswered to for me is whether a small military presence NATO military presence could have sustained uh, a, a non-Taliban uh, Afghan government uh, yeah. indefinitely, uh, but I think the, I think the, the rug was pulled out from under that option by Donald Trump's uh, deal in uh, in Doha.
2: Yes, but Donald Trump's deal, of course, uh, was not a deal that ended up being done. Uh, and it may have been rather naive. Well, it, is, it has ended up being done. Well, no, and, but it hasn't been look done. What happened. Well, it hasn't been done in the way that he would have envisaged it to be done because his well, his, his deal is being and, done in May. Well, no, but his uh, no, but his deal involved a, a series of of, of, of of agreements and a series uh, of, yeah. of kind of you know things that the Taliban said they would do. Now, you might say he was naive to expect the Taliban uh, to do a, to make an agreement and then break it because that's what yes. they do all the time. Um, yeah. But you know, certainly, I think when people's uh, view is taken, do you want? You you know it's like everything it's like covid isn't it when you say well do you want to wear a mask in order to save somebody's life you go well yeah and if they say well do you want to leave troops in afghanistan when nothing's working you say no but if you say <laughs> yeah. do you want to leave troops in afghanistan to stop a hundred thousand refugees fleeing the border and coming to western europe they might say yes
4: well yeah i mean the, the, these these things do depend on what question you ask that yes. is absolutely right and it's very it's very interesting that that uh, daily mail poll that i quoted earlier. Um, does, does say that people disagree with what uh, Joe Biden has done. Mm. Uh, but, I mean, I think that's a, that's a knee-jerk reaction to the, uh, to the chaos of, of, of this disorder. But, yeah. I mean, I think, given that the Americans were going to withdraw... Uh, the the final stages of it were were bound to be disorderly. Um, yeah,
2: but they didn't have to be as disorderly. I think, and I, and I think certainly I was speaking to um, colleagues in America yesterday, and they say that the American public, who were willing to put up with uh, the Biden decision, have been absolutely horrified by the result because the one thing Americans yeah. don't like to be is humiliated.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely, but I'm I'm not sure there was a there was an easy easy way of doing it. I mean, if it had been done more gradually, it, it still would have reached a tipping point where the uh, where the Taliban would have taken over. Yeah. Um, and you know that would have still led to a sort of rush to the airport and mm. all the rest of it.
2: Yes, I dare say. But I mean if wouldn't it wouldn't have be been quite so many people rushing to the airport if they got them out first.
4: No, but I mean the the point is as Joe Biden said in his much uh, in his sort of shockingly aggressive speech the other day yeah. that if you started to pull people out that would have triggered a uh, triggered a panic and that would have brought the, brought the government down uh very quickly yes. anyway so well, yeah but as you know, i said
2: the, the french managed it um and nobody panicked about yeah but they
4: they quiet withdrawal. they just they just quietly sort of sneaked out didn't right. they before uh well that's what i mean you know, when nobody was looking
2: yes well that's i mean what, it isn't wasn't that, possible what, for the americans the point? to do that <laughs> well i mean i know the americans are not very good at sneaking out quietly but you know they could have could have given it a better go than this well maybe
4: yes mm. but so uh, that, let's those, talk those, I know we, interesting we,
2: we haven't got loads of time John but just give me your um, your thoughts on Boris Johnson um and how he kind of recovers I mean a lot of people are making noises about the special relationship I think that's nonsense frankly I mean apparently he's the only foreign leader that Joe Biden's actually spoken to so the fact that he didn't speak to him until this week doesn't Yeah but he think... didn't
4: yeah exactly he I didn't d- speak to him until yeah. after But I mean I don't think I, that doesn't done.
2: trouble me particularly anyway um because whatever he would have done before he would have just rung him to tell him this is what I'm doing he would you know he wouldn't have gone what do you think he just would have done it anyway yes. but but where does this leave Boris Johnson you know he's already somewhat uh, embattled by by some of the uh, uh, the policies that he's been enforcing on people recently with covid and the kind of limitations on freedom and all of that um where yeah. where is he today exactly in terms of his reputation
4: well pretty much at bay i would say um i mean he did he, did, he looked like um, he looked like a, a man surrounded by uh, ho- hostile questions mm. from from uh, both sides of the House of Commons, um, and he dealt with it in a sort of in his usual sort of slightly stuttering, bumbling, uh, bumbling way, and mm. didn't um, didn't come across as, as as very convincing or or, or in charge. Yeah. But I think, um, but uh, but that's that's the situation he's in. He's a very difficult situation. He's been uh, he, he's been you know the, the UK has been proved to be. Uh, not not important in the in the U.S. decision to pull out. Right. Uh, and so all he can do is try to make the best of a bad job. Yeah. Well, we'll see by the end of a couple of
2: hours how he's doing. John Rental, thank you very much indeed. Chief Political Commentator for The Independent. How is Boris Johnson's reputation going to survive this? The
3: Independent Republic of Mike Graham
1: on Talk Radio.
2: But let's talk now to Andrew Fox. He's an army veteran. He's a former paratrooper. Uh, he's a man uh, who has served in Afghanistan on three different tours. He knows precisely what it's like there. He also knows the debt of honour that we owe people who were part uh, of the UK armed forces, albeit that they were hired locally as interpreters and other helpers for the British um, servicemen who were there. Uh, Andrew's outside Parliament today demonstrating on their behalf to make sure they are brought home because they are facing certain death if they are not. Andrew, very good morning to you.
5: Yeah, good morning. I'm here at a, a very noisy Parliament Square at the moment, so I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, to to hear you and answer your questions.
2: No, very good. Well, listen, Andrew, first of all, tell us uh, what you know about the numbers of people that we're talking about um, and what the situation is for many of them. Uh, how easy will it be for us to find them all and bring them out?
5: It's a really huge challenge. We've got about we estimate roughly another 3,000 people that we need to get out of Afghanistan. People who worked with us as interpreters or as locally employed civilians, you know, down in the south of Afghanistan. Um, and it's a fiendishly difficult situation because Kabul isn't fully in Taliban hands. Um, I've heard stories of people having to disguise themselves to try and get around the city. And then when they get, even if they do get to, to Kabul airport, the issue they've got is then trying to make their way through the bureaucracy to get themselves accepted onto a flight back to the UK. And that's what really we're here to do today is is just ask the government to make this easier for them and help them get back from Afghanistan as quickly as possible Mm. before that threat to their life becomes realised. Yes.
2: And I mean, we're hearing stories um, back here of of the Taliban going door to door, looking for some of these people. Is that your understanding as well?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I've spoken to some of the the interpreters and the Afghan refugees who are here protesting today that you you might see behind me, Um, and they all tell the same story, you know, families being threatened. It's not just the, the interpreters and the workers themselves who are being threatened. It's, it's their families, it's their parents, it's their brothers and sisters. Um, and, you know, t- to see the Taliban stand up yesterday and say that they were going to create a you know, a happier, better Afghanistan, it's a stomach churning because it's lies. It doesn't match up with anything that we're seeing on the ground or any of that behaviour they're showing uh, in Afghanistan at the moment.
2: No. And does the government have a list? I know this is a very probably obviously stupid question to ask you, but does the government have a list of these people um, who you speak of, who they should know to bring out of the country or is it all a bit haphazard?
5: As I understand it, it's it's quite difficult. You know, I've got, I know, I'm in touch with charities who are trying to compile lists of people who who might be entitled uh, to to a flight back to, to the UK. But it is, you know, it's a very fluid situation over there. The security system is 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 under pressure, and I know our civil servants and our soldiers and uh, and our airmen are doing their absolute damnedest in Kabul at the moment. But we need the you know, we need the foreign office here to make it as easy as possible mm. for those troops out on the ground to get these people home.
2: Sure. And what can people do, Andrew, if they can uh, if they want to try and support you or if they want to join your cause? Is there a place they can do that?
5: Well, we're down at Parliament Square today. I think we'll be here for a while yet. Um, obviously, you know, you can write to your MP. You can email your MP. You know, it's just about keeping the pressure on Parliament. I think they've got it. You know, I, I think they are trying. They understand the problem. Um but it's so important we just need to make sure that the eye isn't taken off the ball and really this this process today is to encourage the government to keep doing what they're doing uh, and making those efforts to get people home as right. quickly as possible
2: and Andrew as, as a man who's, who's, who's been to the region who knows it well do you understand the political decision to no longer have actual troops there um, do you think that's the right thing to do
5: we had to leave eventually you know there's, there's no two ways we couldn't we couldn't turn this into a life you know, a lifetime commitment to Afghanistan. My, my only real issue is the manner in which it was done on the American side. You know, I think for Mr. Trump to sign the deal that reduced American troops from 22,000 to 2000 almost overnight, effectively, you know, it, it completely undermined our Afghan, our Afghan colleagues. They were reliant on American logistics. They were reliant on NATO support. Uh, and to take that away in an instance, it just gave them no chance. And so I've got no time for people who say the ANA ran away collapsed, the fact is that they were utterly let down. Mm. Um, and and we never gave them a chance to succeed and that's an absolute tragedy.
2: Yes, absolutely. Well listen Andrew, I wish you well. Thank you very much for talking to us and good luck with the campaign. It's a very good one. Andrew Fox there, an army veteran, former paratrooper uh, who's down in Westminster today. Uh, If you wish to go and join that particular demonstration uh, you can go and find him in Westminster. Uh, He's in Parliament Square, outside the Houses of Parliament where Ian Blackford is still talking. Uh, We're going to be hearing from various MPs over the course uh, of the following several hours because here we are at Talk Radio with our eyes on everything. You will not miss a single thing that happens over the course of this morning uh, and through to this afternoon as well. We're talking to many people. We're going to be talking as well about the humanitarian crisis, which is looming, because of course, as you heard Keir Starmer talking about earlier, there are many, many thousands of refugees uh, who will be wanting to leave Afghanistan. The question is, where will they go? There's no doubt that we have a moral obligation to the people Andrew Fox was just talking about, the people who served with the British Army. No question at all that we must take them out and We must bring them here and get them out of harm's way. But as far as all the other refugees are concerned, many people saying, why is Qatar not taking anybody? Why, for example, can some of these refugees not go to Pakistan? Why can they not go to all sorts of other countries? Why do they have to end up in Stevenage? I'm not saying they're going to end up in Stevenage, but you know what I'm saying.
3: It's that time of the year. Your vacation
0: is coming up.
4: The Independent Republic
1: of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic, the home of common sense. Laura, welcome back. We haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. Uh, you've been in Bonnie, Scotland.
0: Bonnie, Scotland, land of the brave, or is it the land of the permanent health emergency? Certainly
2: not the home of the free, is it? <laughs> it's not anymore. Not,
0: no, not at the moment. You know, it's so unbelievably refreshing to see all those politicians in the House of Commons. Mm. It just makes my heart sing. I don't want to sound too geeky about no, this, listen, but I, I love No, listen, I was slightly that.
2: taken aback as soon as we saw the opening shot of Parliament full of people. I kind of went, "Blimey, that looks great, doesn't it?"
0: It actually does, and it's it's lifted my spirits. But mm. the thing is, at the same time, so we, we've got we've got politicians back in the House of Commons debating Afghanistan. Yeah. Yet Scotland, the Scottish government, has snuck through a consultation during recess on plans to extend emergency legislation mm. in Scotland.
2: I've seen that in the so, Telegraph this morning. Yeah,
0: I really want to talk about that today. And it's interesting because it just sits on top of my experience of going to Scotland.
2: Yeah.
0: And I better start this first of all with a big caveat for all the Scots yes. who might be listening. To say, I really liked my time in your country. No, I had a great holiday. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Can and I was... just correct
2: you there? Because it's actually <laughs> your country. It's not their country. It's our country as the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland.
0: Do you know, I stand corrected. That's how I think of it. Yeah. However, I'm aware that's not how Scots think of it, but yeah. Well, not
2: all of them, though. I mean, you know, I'm from Scotland, right? So I'm allowed to say anything I like about Scotland because both my parents were born in Glasgow. My my entire family comes from there uh, and I am inevitably Scottish, right? In fact, two of my children were born in in Scotland. So I have every right to be as nasty and as horrible as I want to be about Scotland. But I'm not going to be. But what I am going to be is I'm going to say that the SNP have convinced people... That most people in Scotland want independence. It's not true.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, if I could, if I could redo that little opener, I would. Our country. <laughs> I had a wonderful time in Scotland. Now, I, I grew up on British holidays. I grew yeah. up on 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 holidays to Scotland, so it was beautiful. I loved it. Went to Skye, Harris, and Lewis. Height. Experienced the culture. It was amazing. But the weird thing was that almost as soon as we crossed the border, it was like going back in time. Mm. No, not to the sixties. Back in time to lockdown. Because. Yes. It hasn't changed as much there. And, you know, here, most of the population's in England. The media's based in London. And we think of the whole of the UK as being like it is here. Yeah. And it is not. No. You know, it was weird. There were signs everywhere. And it felt oppressive. Yes. To be honest, it the felt oppressive. The signage really
2: is oppressive. You know, I was in a pub yesterday and um, one of the girls came across from the bar and started scraping up all the stuff off the table because it's going you know all these little numbers and Mm. the qr codes all the things that they'd stuck on the tables they're all getting they're all gone
0: and that is fantastic because that is how we get back to normal we don't want dots on the ground forever telling us where to stand or signs telling us to hand sanitize so every shop every establishment every entertainment venue you go into in scotland there are very pronounced signs before you go in and to be honest it feels a bit unwelcoming Mm. there were times when my partner and i went up to a shop door and we were like do we even want to go in? Yeah. Because the first thing you see is a massive, unwelcoming sign telling you everything you've got to do. Now I know there's a flip side to this, because some people may see all that signage and go, this is great, they're mm. looking after us, we're going to be safer. But the reality is that all through the epidemic, there's been a kind of a battle between scientists who say that it's spread by droplets mm. and fomite transmission that's touching and scientists who say it's aerosol. Yeah. So the more we've understood it's aerosol, the more a lot of these measures have very minimal impact. You know, being, going to, being told that when you go into a shop, you're can't touch everything right. you know you can't touch things in a well, shop I've, I mean
2: I haven't I keep Isn't meaning fun? to go and buy some clothes right because I feel like I need a couple new jackets but I, I literally haven't been to a shop to buy a jacket because I don't want to go anywhere where you I think now you can try them on but I wasn't going to go and look at a shop and look at jackets if I wasn't allowed to try them on
0: well we went into shops and, and saw you know Harris tweed things but you can't touch them mm. didn't so didn't buy anything no. now if that had a genuine and very important public health purpose that would be one thing but it doesn't really no. so it was and the other thing that was strange was how much people were enforcing it mm. so I was quite surprised because I didn't think of the Scottish as being like this but they are very they're very compliant with the rules but they're also very keen to enforce it mm. I haven't been anywhere where people are telling each other to put on their masks and to follow the no, rules as either. heavily as they were in Scotland really? Wow yeah
2: and that is disappointing because like you say you don't expect the Scots be kind of rebellious by nature you would have thought. Um, But it turns out that maybe maybe they're not as rebellious as as I like to think.
0: Well, maybe. You get that impression, don't you, from films like Braveheart. Well, no, I
2: just get it from my family. I mean, my father was one of the most rebellious people I knew. It's why I am, you know, Mm. because I inherited it from him. And he was always questioning. I mean, one of the things he once said, uh, he was in the newspaper business and he had a bunch of management consultants came in one time and he was running the art department. And they said, we've had a look at your um, rota, Mr Graham, for um, for the art department and we don't understand it could you explain it? He said, well, let me know when you do understand it and I'll change it. And that was the way he was. I mean, he just literally was like sticking two fingers up to anybody that was ever trying to boss him around or to tell him to do something. And he came from a very long, you know, family of people who who were like that.
0: Well, I think if he went to Sky, Harris and Lewis today, he'd be surprised. Mm. And the thing is, you know, there's lots of good news from Scotland. Nearly nine in 10 Scots have antibodies That doesn't necessarily mean you won't get COVID, but it's fantastic protection. It's very encouraging. Mm. And the seven-day rolling average of deaths has been in the single figures for nearly all of August. So it feels like the measures are kind of disproportionate with where we are in this stage of the epidemic.
2: Well, I mean, if you want disproportionate, um, just to take you away from Scotland for a moment, I don't know if you've seen Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, um, who came out yesterday because they got one case of COVID and shut down New Zealand, the entire country, and said Mm. in a press conference, don't talk to your neighbours.
0: I did see that. I've been following what's going on in Australia and New Zealand because it is like watching a dystopian nightmare unfold. You know, the martial law. I don't know if you remember, but in Victoria, there were residents basically sealed Mm. into high rise tower blocks in July. They've been in a lockdown for weeks, and the premier of Victoria said, No, the measures are working. We just need to do them harder. And so they've introduced an even stricter lockdown, which includes a curfew from 9pm till 5am I think. They have police on the streets enforcing it and there was um, a little clip of him that's been going around social media telling people that they can't get round the rules by going on outdoor pub crawls oh, yes. and removing their masks to drink alcohol. Now he's responding to something that happened. Apparently hundreds of people found a sneaky way to have yeah. a party because you know young people will they be young like people. like having a party. And why Shocking. shouldn't they, They're young people, I, you know? Well, some old people um, quite like
2: having a party I as like well. having a party, you drinks and stuff I'm the not street. against it.
0: Yeah. But the thing is, it's the way he said it. Mm. He was he was dripping with contempt. Yes. He, sa- he sounded almost like he was taking a sort of sadistic pleasure mm. in telling people that they must follow the rules yeah. and they can't take off their masks to have and a drink. And this is what
2: I say to people who ask me, do you think there's something else going on? Because I think that, you know, your great book about the fear factor... Um, um, has, has as you have many times said to me doesn't necessarily explain why they've done all this. I don't think it's anything more than the just love and lust for power. They just really enjoy telling people what to do, telling them what they can't do mm-hmm. uh, and enforcing rules that they can make up literally on a whim I mean Julie Hartley Brewer made a great point this morning talking about Afghanistan and the rights of people to leave the country and she says we should remember that a few months ago uh, you could be fined £5,000 for leaving this country yeah, think about that when we talk about personal freedoms for the Afghans. I
0: I know I know it's that, and that's the thing. You know, it's it's amazing seeing our politicians back in the House of Commons, mm. but our own regard in this country for democracy has been worrying. Yeah. during the epidemic.
2: Yes, and maybe this will actually kickstart something in London and in, in Edinburgh and in Glasgow and in Belfast and in Cardiff, because they'll look at Afghanistan and go, oh. Well, you know, actually, we do need to keep our freedoms, don't we? Because otherwise, look what can happen.
0: I like your optimism.
2: Well, I'm always optimistic. (laughs) I mean, I really am. I'd like to take you back down to the House of Commons, but it's Ian Blackford still talking, and he's been there for hours now, so I'm not going to go back to him just... Shall we go back to him and see what he's saying? Yeah, go on. We have let them
4: down. It is now time to do the right thing. For those deserving and in need of our aid and our support, now is the moment to act. Now is
2: the moment for leadership. Yeah. And now is the moment to stop talking. And he's sitting down, just as I said it. Wonderful. So, there we are. There's a bit of Scottish flavour for you.
0: Well, that means you'll have to come back to me. If yes. He's, if he's sitting down. Okay. Yes.
2: Well, I want to. I want you to tell me more about your trip. So, you found a much, much more uh, frightened community, a much, much more compliant community.
0: Well, you know, you're talking about how some people just like the power. I, You know, there are lots of different personality types in a society, and mm. that's fine, that's acceptable, it's a good thing. What I observed was a lot of people wanting to enforce the rules and it felt a bit, there was a bit of a whiff of communist community mm. block policing about it. Right. It made shopping and going into pubs and restaurants a bit less enjoyable for and was it And it's
2: mask wearing all the time? All the time. Right. Yeah. Which is pretty much gone now down here. I mean, I haven't worn a mask um, since before the last time I saw you actually. So, um, mm. and nobody has, has battered an eyelid. Nobody's said a word. Nobody's gone. Why aren't you wearing a mask? Nobody's looked at me. Nothing.
0: Yeah same and I so I don't know I don't know what that says about about Scotland Mm. but I do wonder if it means that the Scottish people are going to be quite receptive to this proposal by the Scottish government to extend emergency legislation I mean it's this is quite extraordinary they've snuck this out during recess Now, this does not read like a consultation to me. This Mm. reads like a polemic. Yes. Boy, do I have a lot to say about this consultation. So the focus is on digitising public services. And that sounds very modern and Mm. that sounds very sensible, doesn't it, Mike? Who could object to something like that? Let's be clear what they're trying to do. This is a huge measure. They are proposing to extend the emergency legislation permanently, giving them the power to make the public health regulations... Permanent. What does that mean? That means restrictions. That mm. means lockdown. That means the ability School to closes, close for schools. Example, yeah. Yep, not just close schools, but lockdown. Yeah, um, to prevent events and gatherings, or issue new rules for schools, such as introducing blended learning. Mm. Um, and there's a lot about criminal justice, which you know we're going to probably have to wait for the lawyers to get into, but potentially increasing remand times yeah. on a case by case basis. Mm. So if you're, you know, if you're potentially innocent. And you're waiting for your case. Your remand increasing from, say, six to 12 months, as has happened at times during the epidemic, has a huge impact. So talking about doing that permanently, um, early release of prisoners. Well, that might have made sense at times in an epidemic. But doing something like that on a potentially permanent basis is is huge. There are some absolutely huge social changes, Mm. paradigm shifts. I'd say crossing Rubicons in this consultation, all packaged up together. Yeah and snuck out on the choir now.
2: And meanwhile, the two figures that they very rarely talk about the SNP is the one uh, which makes them still um, the highest rated uh, drug death country in the entire continent of Europe. Uh, And also just the other day, um, I think alcohol deaths were up for the seventh or eighth year in a row under the SNP. Their health service is in a worse place than, than our health service in England. And yet they seem to be using COVID as a way of changing everything.
0: Yes, I'm glad you said that, because I think that's what's going on. I Mm. think there are a lot of different vested interests that are coalescing. It's the classic disaster capitalism. Mm. And I don't mean by that that there's people profiting, but they're pushing ahead agendas that they may have wanted to push ahead anyway, but under the guise of the pandemic. Mm. So, for instance, there's been a move to digitise courts and to reduce the size of the estate for years. This gives them the perfect opportunity. Yeah. Blended learning. Well, is that really in students' best interests? Are there tech companies behind the scenes lobbying? Because if you think about it, every hour a pupil is in school. They're not in front of a profitable tech solution Mm. at home. Also, how are the
2: parents supposed to be dealing with this? If you're a working parent and your child is only going to school two days a week, what are you supposed to do?
0: It... Well, you're supposed to be working at home, maybe, and managing it all. I don't know, but yeah. I can tell you it was impossible some of the worst mm. months of my life yeah. doing that. And for and people, single, ma- for single
2: parents who have maybe two or three children, you don't have two or three laptops. Most ordinary people maybe have one computer, some don't have any. You know, it's not it's not feasible.
0: Absolutely. And... <sighs> talking about feasibility brings in as well the idea of evidence so the, there's a reason i describe this consultation as being like a polemic it's a series of very strong arguments and propositions that are not backed up by evidence or mm. well, the one it rests upon first of all is that it's a good idea to use lockdowns yes. that that would rely upon the idea that lockdowns work mm. and that they're effective that they're moral that they're a good thing to do and that we agree with them yeah. the whole premise of of this consultation hasn't been tested there's no cost benefit analysis into lockdowns there hasn't really been a clear moral debate about whether it's acceptable to say you can't leave your house to go out and work what was once an unconditional right Mm. to leave your house to go out and earn a living is becoming a conditional right and in this consultation there's a little there's there's two words that should make everyone very worried that these regulations would be rolled out for COVID or an infectious disease or any incidents. Well, what incidents Mm. might that be? just as any incidents. Now, I have to say, I called this in my book, and I wish I hadn't, and I wish this wasn't happening. You see, if you concede that lockdowns are a good tool, you have to concede that they might be used again for other reasons. Mm. That could be another infection. It could be um, a run on the banks. It could be an act of terror. It could be climate lockdowns. But if you you concede that it was acceptable to use them once, don't be surprised to see them rolled out again. Mm. And this consultation the language of it leaves open the opportunity to use lockdowns for anything
2: because they would love this and this is what i mean you know this whole control thing which they're doing i mean we are talking about moral imperatives today because we're talking about the moral imperative to help refugees coming from afghanistan we're talking about the moral imperative to convince the taliban to allow women to leave their homes right mm. you know there's quite a lot of comparisons that you can make without sounding crazy because quite frankly You know, some of the stuff that these people in Parliament in Scotland and in England would like to do, they're quite ridiculous, totally ridiculous. And again, Mm -hmm. I always go back to the point and we'll, we'll take a little break in a minute. You know, they work for us. They seem to have forgotten this. You know, we pay them. They wouldn't have any money. They wouldn't have no government at all if it wasn't for tax, if it wasn't for the money that we give them to run the country on our behalf. You know, we don't work for them. We don't do what they tell us. And that's the thing that people seem to have forgotten.
0: They don't behave like public servants, which is what they are. They're Mm. behaving like tyrants at the moment. This proposal to extend emergency legislation permanently is just the most shocking... What's one of the most shocking consultations Mm. I've ever seen, and I hope everyone in Scotland is going to respond.
2: Yes, let's hope so. Let's have a listen to Harriet Harman. She's down there in Parliament Parliament today.
0: Two decades be crushed. They now face great jeopardy, and I know the whole House... And the Prime Minister and the Foreign Secretary will express publicly our solidarity with and admiration for Afghan women MPs who, as parliamentary pioneers, having stepped forward into public life to make a reality of democracy for that half of the population of Afghanistan who are women and girls, now, in the face of such an uncertain future, are determined to protect and defend those rights. And as well, to what we Harry do... Harry
2: Harmon there making a statement in, in the House of Commons. I'm here with Laura Dodsworth. I should bring you some quite sad breaking news. Comedian Sean Locke has died of cancer at the age of 58, his agent has said. He's known, of course, for his surreal content, deadpan style. He was a team captain on Jimmy Carr's Channel 4 comedy panel show, 8 Out of 10 Cats. Terribly sad story. Sean Locke dead at the age of 58. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Lord Dosworth is here with me. We've been talking about Scotland and the kind of juxtaposition of freedoms um, that they don't have or that the government doesn't wish to give back to the people. Uh, And, of course, the juxtaposition of of what we're talking about today in Afghanistan and how we just had Harriet Harman there talking about Mm. the women, the brave women who came forward to become MPs in the Afghan parliament who are now basically more or less being told get back in the kitchen by the Taliban. I mean, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it?
0: It is. And it's it's very worrying. And there's and there's rightly a lot of um, concern for the women in Afghanistan. I'm concerned who wouldn't be. So, you know, you have to be careful about the analogy. But there is an analogy because we're discussing the morality of a situation, confining women to their homes or in a lockdown, confining all of us to our homes. Mm. Remember that lockdown wasn't just about confining the sick to their homes. It was... Confining the potentially infectious, which was all of us, yes. i.e., the healthy. Yeah, and
2: making you, but yeah, and Peter Hitchens used to talk about this. You know, at no time in history have we quarantined healthy people.
0: We've never quarantined healthy people, and there is a aside from the cost benefit analysis of lockdowns, which will not come out looking favourable, mm. which is probably why governments haven't done it yet. Yeah. Aside from that, there is a discussion about the morality of telling somebody they cannot leave their home to earn a living, to feed their family. I'm a single parent freelancer and that was my situation last spring. So I felt it too. So the idea that Scotland wants to have the right to impose lockdowns at will, permanently, Mm. should be deeply concerning for the whole country. And there is a moral analogy Yes. with with the Taliban.
2: Yeah, I think there absolutely is. And, and I mean, you know, people used to use the phrase Taliban with various different sort of like the cycling Taliban. And we used to kind of make jokes about the kind of the, the dreaded local authorities that would come. But some local authorities now have become ridiculous. You know, they're now telling us when they feel like it. Well, we'll, we'll come and pick up the bins whenever we like, because mm-hmm. basically we've got a lot of people who have been told to, uh, to stay at home. We've got you trade unions saying to people, don't worry um, if you don't have to self-isolate, you still can if you want. So you don't have to bother going to work. If you're a train driver, if you're a school teacher, if you're working in the public sector, if you're a nurse, don't bother going to work. Just self-isolate if you want. And it's mad. And people think that's a justification for behaving in a way which two years ago would have been unthinkable.
0: Yeah. Definitely, and unfortunately, this is this is something that has been—it's been studied before. It's been known before. There's a great book called Crisis Neviathan by Robert Higgs, mm. um, American economist, and he talks about this. After a crisis, a government tends to get bigger. It ratchets up in size. It assumes new responsibilities for the safety of its citizen, and it doesn't shrink back afterwards. Mm. And I think we see that here with this consultation. The Scottish government wants the ability permanently to retain the same powers that it had during an emergency Mm. and it wants to keep them beyond the emergency the emergency is now over well they
2: think there's a climate emergency of course so they can invoke that any time they like can't they
0: there, I've seen the first net zero ad for um, uh, the first net zero Scotland ad about climate emergency. Mm. Yes, that's the next. Do you know what I discovered this week, which I pushing. had no
2: idea about, and you might not be as concerned about it as I am, and maybe I'm mad to be concerned about it, but there are trials currently going on in parts of the north of England where people who are supplied gas by the local gas company are having their gas mixed 20% hydrogen so that uh, we can move towards a hydrogen um, heating scenario. And this is something that's being basically forced on them because they've been sent a note saying this is happening rather than, would you like it? So the gas supply is now mixed 20% with hydrogen. Now, I'm sorry, I don't think that's something that we ever asked for, is it?
0: Definitely not. I don't know anything about the implications of that. No, do I. I'm, I'm curious. I'll, yeah. I'll go and read I'll, up on I'll, it.
2: I'll, I'll, I was tweeting about it yesterday because a couple of people drew, drew it to my attention. Um, because, you know, there's this plan in the papers yesterday Boris Johnson wants us to pay for hydrogen-supplied Um, Energy for companies so that we would be basically bankrolling industries to be able to be cleaner as as individual consumers and you know I don't want to do that I'm sorry I want to opt out of that I don't want hydrogen in my house I don't want travelling through the, the road underneath you know I don't know how dangerous that is I've no idea
0: well we haven't been consulted on any of the climate goals no
2: we have not. Now, I'm going to leave you with one final thought because we're out of time. Um, my son's uh, 17th birthday today, so we're taking him out for lunch. Um, do you remember when you were 17?
0: Oh, happy birthday, Tim. Yes, I do. 17 was a really fun age. Mm. Probably more fun when I was 17 than it is right now yes. for, for the poor 17-year-olds with right. all the restrictions. Yes, Yes,
2: I think so. I was 17 a very long time ago. It was sort of around about the time of punk rock, and I wasn't a punk at all. Um, <laughs> I was going to see bands like The Who and Led Zeppelin. Oh, cool. Very cool at that moment. It's quite long hair. It was a happy time. Oh, but my it,
0: goodness. It was Nirvana, Red Chili Peppers, yeah. and, um, and, and indie music for yes. me. Yes, yeah. OK. Oh, Brilliant. and raves.
2: Raves. There yeah. we are. We have to get on to that another day. Um, this is The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Laura, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. And we've got much to talk about. Don't forget State of Fear is her book. Go and buy it if you haven't done so.
1: Talk radio
2: across the UK.
1: Online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham